Jennifer was a single woman in her 40s. She was very driven to succeed in her career and was doing incredibly well as a corporate executive until a recession hit. And then she lost her job and she was unemployed for nearly a year. And she burned through a lot of her savings. And as month followed month, she felt increasingly lost. Without her career, she lost her identity. With a lot less money, she'd lost her happiness. She began to wonder if she had pursued the wrong priorities in life. And this caused her to start thinking about God. And she began to ask herself this question. Could there be a God who might provide me with a sense of self-worth and a sense of peace apart from money and success? Bill was a married man of 60 and he was head over heels in love with his wife. She was his best friend and constant companion and they traveled and explored and enjoyed a vibrant life together. And then his wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she did not want to face that ordeal. And so without even telling Bill, she took her own life. Bill was devastated. He felt abandoned, betrayed, and alone. How could he find hope in life without his soulmate? And his deep anguish and pain caused him to start thinking about God. He began to ask himself this question, could there be a God who might heal the wounds of my grief? Victor and Suzanne had been childhood sweethearts and they got married at age 20. By the time they were 25, they had two young kids. Their family life was demanding and yet very fulfilling. Work and kids and jobs. Sometimes a night out for dinner and the movies. None of it was bad and yet At the same time, they began to wonder, is this all there is? And they began to ask this question, could there be a God who might give a greater sense of meaning and purpose to our lives? And all of these people got answers to their questions because all of them had a Christian friend. For Jennifer, it was a neighbor, and for Bill, it was a co-worker, and for Victor and Suzanne, it was another young couple they met at a parenting class. And those Christian friends cared for them and encouraged them, and over a period of many, many months, helped each of those people get connected to Jesus. And so there came a day when each of these four spiritual seekers, Jennifer, Bill, Victor, and Suzanne, said yes to God. And when they did, they entered into a life of transformation, a life that gave them hope, a life that healed their emotional wounds, a life that gave them a sense of meaning and purpose. When they each got connected to Jesus, they received a great gift from a loving God. Here's the key thing, though. In order to receive that gift, each of those people had to do something. They had to take a step of faith. And this morning, we want to explore three different Bible passages that give us some insight into what that initial step of faith looks like. We want to understand how to begin a life where God continually can transform us so that we can experience the very best that He has for us. We're going to begin in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 to 39. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, what we just read comes at the culmination of a sermon by the Apostle Peter, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. And in this sermon, he explains that Jesus had been sent to earth by God, that Jesus was crucified and then amazingly raised from the dead, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and therefore it's not wise to reject him. And when the people listening hear this message, they are convicted. They realize that they're living their lives apart from God. And they want to know if there's any way to change that. They want to know, is there any hope? Is there any hope that I can live differently in the future? And so they ask Peter, what shall we do? Now, from a spiritual perspective, that question is perhaps the most important one we ever could ask. When we voice that question, it means we recognize that we have a spiritual problem and we want to know how to solve it. It means we understand that we must take some kind of action to get ourselves right with God. And it means that we're willing to consider taking the very first step of faith so that we can get connected to God. The question they ask is potentially life-changing. And Peter answers by telling the people what they need to do, and then he tells them what God will do. They need to repent and be baptized. God will provide forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what is it that these people need to be forgiven for? What is it we need to be forgiven for. Well, we all need to be forgiven for willfully ignoring God by living a self-centered life and by acting as if we know better than our Creator how to manage our own affairs. We need to be forgiven for embracing attitudes and engaging in actions that are harmful to ourselves and to others. And when we repent of these things, when we acknowledge that we've been living apart from God, and engaging at times in foolish behavior, and we place our trust in Jesus, then God graciously forgives us. He embraces us, and He places the Holy Spirit within us. Now that is an easy thing to say, but it is unbelievable to comprehend. That really, God, part of God, is placed within every believer? How can God live in you? How can God live in me. It should be mind-boggling. I was was thinking about this during the week and I was reminded of a story told to me by a friend of mine who was having dinner with his nine-year-old daughter and she had been baptized earlier that day. And over dinner he said, Honey, did you know that the Holy Spirit now lives in you? She was eating some green beans and she'd just taken a bite of those beans and her eyes got really wide and she said, Daddy, I'm getting beans all over the Holy Spirit. Ah, the things kids say. (laughs) That's not exactly what it means for the Spirit to live within us. 
because he's not a physical presence. He's a spirit. There's no way we can fully understand this nor describe this. It is a mystery. It's a mystery. And yet God somehow gives us the ability to know that the Spirit is in us and with us. The Apostle Paul writes about it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 16. He says, The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. What a, what a gift that somehow, someway, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that when we turn away from our past and we turn toward Jesus, then God becomes our Father and we become His children. And it begins when we take a step of faith. We say yes to God. We enter the water to be baptized. And I think what we're seeing is that when we get into the baptistry, we do far more than just get wet. We receive forgiveness from God. And then we encounter God through His Spirit. Baptism is a life-changing moment when our connection to God is forever changed. All we have to do is make the choice to believe that God means what He says and that His promise is true and He will meet us in a unique way as we enter the water. Scripture makes it very clear that there are some distinctive things that happen within us when we choose to be baptized. But sometimes, though, Christians spend too much time debating the details. And when we do, then sometimes we get sidetracked and we overlook the big picture of what God is doing in us as we respond to Jesus in faith. And and here's what I mean by this. One of the hallmarks of Western culture, our culture, is that we tend to be linear thinkers. And we like to break life down into little manageable pieces. And this is reflected in our self-help literature. So, for example, we have books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Five Steps to a Great Marriage. The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. The Five Love Languages. Now, we like this approach because it allows us to take life, which is very complex, and to break it down into a nice, neat little box. And then we just start checking things off the list as we accomplish them. And we've even brought this approach into the church. So sometimes we talk about the five steps for getting connected to God. We need to hear and believe and repent and confess and be baptized. Now that kind of thinking is not inherently wrong, but it can inadvertently lead us to focus on the wrong things. Christians from different traditions wind up arguing about which of those five steps toward God is the most important, and some of them wind up emphasizing repentance and confession over baptism. The Bible makes no such distinction. Rather than breaking things down into pieces, the Bible presents the initial act of faith as a seamless whole. It's not a checklist of steps. It's one step of faith where we make the choice to turn away from a self-centered life and we choose a Jesus-directed life. And I think we see this in the book of Acts chapter 22, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul reflects back on that moment when he became a follower of Jesus. And he did so at the urging of a friend named Ananias. And here's what Ananias says to Paul. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. 
You see, Ananias doesn't give Paul a checklist of steps. He just gives him the big picture. In fact, Ananias sees the act of baptism as synonymous with calling upon the name of God. And that's because when we enter the water by faith, we are responding to God in the way that he asks us to do. And so when we submit to bap- when Paul submitted to baptism, he was confessing his own weakness and his own imperfections and his own sinfulness. And as Paul exits the water, he can be confident that his sins are taken away and he's beginning a new life in connection with God. Ananias never says, step one, step two, step three. He just gives Paul the big picture and says, why wait? Just do it. There's another piece to this that is so important. We place a lot of importance on baptism. We know that it's a defining moment, but we can never treat it like an ending point. Baptism is not the end. It's the beginning. It's a beginning because it's the start of a new life of ongoing transformation. And Paul explains that in succinct detail in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 3. He writes, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul's purpose here is clear. He wants to very concisely explain what God does when we take our initial step of faith and submit to baptism. And it is absolutely amazing. As we are placed down under the water, it's like going into a grave. It's like a death and burial. As we come up out of the water, it's like being resurrected and raised to new life. And so baptism by immersion is a beautiful picture of death and burial and resurrection. And it's a vivid image of the very real transformation that begins to take place when Jesus meets us in the water and places his spirit within us. And this transformation is highlighted here in our passage in verse 4 where Paul says that as we are raised in baptism, just as Jesus rose from the grave, God does that so that we may live a new life. And that phrase, may live, is not an expression of hope or a wish. It's an expression of fact. Jesus rose, so we will rise too. Jesus experienced new life, so we also will experience new life. And so when we respond to Jesus by faith and we enter into the water, we will put to death the old life. We will be set free from the guilt of our past actions and we will begin a process where we continually can be transformed to become the people that God wants us to be. The faith that we bring to our baptism breaks the power of sin in our lives. And then we can live with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And this means that you and I have the power to make different choices about how we think and how we live and how we respond to other people. 
And God will help mend things in your life and mine that are broken. He mends our broken hearts and our broken habits and our broken relationships. God can do that. God will do that through the power of the Holy Spirit if we trust him because we are now joined to him. And the way that we are joined to God is rather amazing as Paul describes here in verse 5. You see, when he talks about being united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, he actually uses an agricultural term that refers to grafting. Grafting. Grafting is when a farmer takes a branch on one tree, lops it off, grafts it into another tree. That new branch now gets a new source of strength and sustenance and vitality, and new growth and new fruit is produced on that new tree. I once saw a, a, an orange tree where the farmer had grafted in 12 other citrus fruits. It was an amazing sight. And those grafted in branches were now getting all of their sustenance from the root system and, and the trunk of their new tree. And that tree was producing all kinds of varieties of fruit. There were navel oranges and Valencia oranges and tangerines and lemons. It was amazing and it was beautiful. I think that's the image that Paul wants us to hold in our minds. He wants us to know that through our baptism, we are severed from our old life and we are grafted onto Jesus. We are joined to his death and his resurrection. And he becomes a new source of sustenance for us to produce new life and new growth. If we respond to Jesus in faith, we are grafted onto him so that he can produce beautiful fruit in our lives. And I hope we can see then that for all of these reasons, baptism is not merely a symbolic act. It is a deeply spiritual moment. It is a moment that begins a life of transformation. And by the way, when we understand that Baptism grafts us onto the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think it resolves a lot of misunderstandings. It answers one of the most common questions that people ask me. People will say something like this, why do I need to be baptized? Baptism can't be very important. After all, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, oh, you have to be baptized in order to receive that promise. I have two responses to that. First, for a guy hanging on a cross, getting baptized is rather problematic. And I can't imagine Jesus saying something to him like this. Well, I know you're choosing to believe in me, but, but I'm sorry. Unless we get you down off this cross and into the water, you're toast. Jesus obviously wouldn't say something like that, but the fact is God can do exceptions to his own plans anytime he wants. But second, and far more importantly, when Jesus promised paradise to that thief on the cross, Christian baptism did not yet exist. Jesus had not yet died. He had not yet been buried. He had not yet risen from the grave. And what we actually experience in baptism, as described here so accurately by the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, was not yet a reality when Jesus made his promise of paradise to the thief on the cross. And that's why Jesus didn't say to him, you need to get baptized. In fact, Jesus never told anyone to get baptized. 
Christian baptism never existed until after Jesus completed his, his earthly ministry and returned to the Father, and then he commissioned his followers to carry on his work. Christian baptism did not exist until that historical day when Peter introduced it to the world. When Peter said, here's how you take a step of faith and get connected to God. You repent, you get baptized. You enter the water and you receive the gifts of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. You begin a new life of transformation that goes on and on and on as God works to produce fruit in you. Christian baptism began when Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, introduced it to the world. And it is now a great invitation for people in every generation and points the way of how we take an initial step of faith to get connected to God. I want to wrap up by uh, taking us back to the beginning. At the start of the message, I told you about Jennifer, Bill, Victor and Suzanne, and they were living lives far from God, and, and they got connected to Jesus. Got connected to Jesus because some, some believers befriended them. And today those four people are living lives that are spiritually fruitful. Jennifer's back in the business world, and she's doing well, but she's no longer driven by a need for money and success. Because her sense of self-worth, her identity comes from Jesus not from her job title or her income. She's a volunteer leader at her church, and she takes short-term mission trips all over the world, investing her talent and her energy to help people in third-world countries. She's far more interested now in significance than in success. Bill still greatly misses his wife, but the pain of her loss has gradually faded, and he finds real joy and great companionship by being an active part of the community of faith. He runs a grief support group at his local church, helping people to find their way to healing and hope and wholeness through Jesus, just as he did. Victor and Suzanne are busy with work and family and very invested in raising their children so they might make the decision to live as followers of Jesus. And their lives are hectic, but their connection to Jesus is what gives meaning and purpose to everything they do. They teach the Bible to children at their church. And periodically as a family, they go and they serve meals to the poor at a soup kitchen. All of these people have been and continue to be transformed. The Holy Spirit who lives within them is at work, helping to produce beautiful fruit in their lives. Every one of us has a story and that's theirs. What's your story? In light of what God has revealed here in these Bible passages that we've explored, what's the next step in your story or my story? I'd like to suggest a few ways we might answer that question. For those of us who are baptized believers, I think we should make a commitment not to take God's incredible gifts for granted. We have been forgiven, we have received the Holy Spirit, and we have been set free from the power of sin. And so in those moments when we're tempted to be angry or deceitful or prideful, in those moments when we're tempted to gossip, in those moments when we're tempted to engage in any behavior that will harm us and harm others, we need to remember that the power of sin has been broken in our lives and we have the power through the Spirit to make better choices. Let's live each day as people of faith 
others can see Jesus in us. That's a great step for us to take. And for those believers who never have been baptized, here's a great step for you. Be immersed. Be immersed in order to experience a fuller and deeper connection with Jesus. As we've seen, baptism is far more than a symbolic act. It's really a vital step for every follower of Christ. And God simply wants us to take him at his word, to enter the water by faith, and to believe he'll meet us there in a new way. And so if you are an unbaptized believer, don't put it off. Take that step of faith. And then if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe today's the day when you would like to take that initial step of faith and get connected to God. And I would simply say to you what Ananias said to Paul. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins calling on his name. Let God's great promise be true in your life. As we wrap up this service, some of our church leaders are going to be over in the prayer corner, and I invite you to speak with them. They'd be delighted to talk with you further about how you can begin a new life, a life of transformation in connection with Jesus Christ. And for every one of us, I hope we never forget what God does for us when we respond to him in faith. We are buried with him and raised to new life. And we need to embrace the reality of that promise through the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day. Let's never take that for granted.